Bricket Bottom by Amias Northcotts The Reverend Arthur Mayhew was the hard-working incumbent of a large parish in one of our manufacturing towns. He was also a student and a man of no strong physique. So that when an opportunity was presented him to take an annual holiday by exchanging parishes with an elderly clergyman, Mr. Roberts, the squareson, the parish of Overbury, an acquaintance of his own, he is glad to avail himself of it. Overbury is a small and very remote village in one of the most lonely, lovely and rural counties, and Mr. Roberts had long held the, li- the living of it. Without further delay, we can transport Mr. Mayhew and his family, which consisted of only two daughters, to their temporary home. The two young ladies, Alice and Maggie, the heroines of the narrative, were at that time aged 26 and 24 years, respectively. Both of them were attractive girls, fond of such society as could find in their own parish, and formerly especially always pleased to extend the circle of their acquaintance. Although the elder in years, Alice, in many ways, yielded place to her sister, who was much more energetic and practical, upon whose shoulders the bulk of the family cares and responsibilities rested. Alice was inclined to be absent-minded, emotional, and to devote more of her faults and time to speculations of a third nature than her sister. Both the girls, however, rejoiced at the prospect of a period of quiet and rest of pleasant country neighbourhood. Both were gratified at knowing that their father would find in Mr. Roberts' library much that would entertain his mind in the Mr. Roberts' garden, opportunity to indulge freely in his favourite game of croquet. He would have no doubt preferred some cheerful neighbours, but Mr. Roberts was positive his assurance that there was no one in the neighbourhood whose acquaintance would be of interest to them. The first few weeks of their new life passed presently for the Mayhew family. Mr. Mayhew quickly gained renewed vigour in his quiet and congruial surroundings in the delightful air where his daughters spent much of their time in long walks about the country and exploring its beauties. One evening, late in August, the two girls were turning from a long walk along one of the favour paths which led along the side of the downs, and then right as they walked, the ground fell away sharply to the narrow glen, named Bricket Bottom, about three quarters of a mile in length, along the bottom which ran a little used country road leading to a farm, known as Blaze's Farm, and then upward and onward and upward to lose itself as a sheep track on the higher downs. On this side of the slope some scattered trees and bushes grew but beyond the lane and running up the further slopes of the glen was a thick wood which descended way to Koryu Court, the seat of the neighbouring magistrate, Lord Koryu. On their left, the open down rose above them, and beyond its crescent laid overbury. The girls were walking hastily, as they were la- later 
than they had intended to be and were anxious to reach home and so the product at which they had now arrived the fork path forked the right hand branch leading down to Brickett bottom the left hand turning up over the down to Oakbury. Just as they were about to turn into the left-hand path, Alice suddenly stopped and pointed downwards to Squade. How very curious, Maggie. Look, there's a house down there at the bottom, which we have, at least, I have never noticed before. Often as we have walked up the bottom. Maggie followed her eyes, her sister's pointing finger. I don't see any house, she said. Why, Maggie, says her sister, can't you see it? The quaint old-fashioned red brick house, just where the road bends to the right. You seem to be standing in a nice, well-kept garden, too. Maggie looked again, but the light was beginning to fade in the glen, and she was short-sighted to boot. I certainly didn't see anything, she said, but I am so blind and the light is getting bad. Yes, perhaps I see a house, she added her eyes. Well, there it is. Well, it is there, replied the sister, and tomorrow it will come and explore it. Maggie readily agreed. Agreed readily enough. The sisters went home while speculating on how they had happened not to notice the house before, resolving firmly on an expedition to the next day, however, the expedition did not come off as planned. For that evening, Maggie slipped on the stairs and fell, spraining her ankle in such a fashion to preclude walking for some time. Notwithstanding the accident to her sister, Alice remained possessed by the idea of making further investigations into the house she had looked down upon on the hill the evening before. The next day, having seen Maggie carefully settled for the afternoon, she started off for Rickett Bottom, returned in triumph and much intrigued over discoveries, which she eagerly narrated, narrated to her sister. Yes, there was a nice old-fashioned red brick house, not very large, and set in a charming old well garden in the bottom. It stood on a tongue of land, jutting out from the woods, just at a point where the lane after a fairly straight course from its junction, the main road, half a mile away, turned sharply to the right in the direction of Blaze's farm. More than that, Alice has seen a people house, whom she described as an old gentleman and lady, presumably his wife. She had not clearly made out the gentleman who was sitting in the porch, but the old lady had been in the garden, busy with her flowers, and looked up and smiled pleasantly as at her as she passed. She was sure, she said, they were nice people. It would be pleasant to make the acquaintance. Maggie was not quite satisfied with Alice's story. She was more prudent and retired nature than her sister. She had an easy feeling that the old couple had been desirable or attractive. Neighbours. Mr. Roberts would have mentioned them, and knowing Mr. Alice's nature, she said that she could what she could to discourage a vague idea of endeavouring to make acquaintances with the owners of Red Brick House. 
On the following morning, when Esther came to her sister's room to inquire how she did, Maggie noticed that she looked pale and rather absent-minded. absent-minded. And after a few commonplace remarks, a pass, she asked, What's the matter? What is the matter, Alice? You don't look yourself this morning. Her sister gave a slightly embarrassed laugh. Oh, I'm all right, she replied. Oh, I did. Oh, only I did not sleep very well. I kept on dreaming about the house. It's such an odd dream, too. The house seemed to be a home, and yet to be different. What, the house in Bucket Bottom? said Maggie. Why, that is, what, what is the matter with you? You seem to be quite crazy about the place. Well, it's curious, isn't it, Maggie? That we should have just only discovered it. And it looks to be lived in by nice people. I wish we could get, could get to know them. Maggie, Maggie did not care to resume the argument of that night before, and the subject dropped. Nor did Maggie again refer to the house with its inhabitants for some time. Some little time, in fact, for some days, the weather was wet, and Alice was forced to abandon the walks. But when the weather once more became fine. Resumed them, and Maggie suspected that Bucket Bottom formed one of her sister's favourite expeditions. Maggie became anxious over her sister, who seemed to grow daily more absent-minded and silent, who refused to be drawn into any confidential talk, and Maggie was nonplussed. One day, however, Alice returned from her afternoon walk, an unusually excited state of mind, which Maggie sought an explanation. Came a rush, Alice said, that afternoon, as she approached the house in Bucket Bottom, the old lady, as usual, was busy in the garden, had walked down to the gate as she passed, and had wished her good day. Alice had replied, and pausing, a short conversation had followed. Alice could not remember the exact tender of it, but after she had paid a compliment to the old lady's flowers, the latter, and rather differently, asked her, to enter the garden at, for a closer view. Alice said, had hesitated. The only lady said, Don't be afraid of me, my dear. I like to see young ladies about me. And my husband finds their social quite, so society quite necessary to him. After a pause, she went on, Of course, nobody has told you about us. My husband's Colonel Paxton, late of the Indian Army. We have been here for many, many years. It's rather lonely for so few people to ever see us. Do come in and meet the Colonel. I hope you didn't go in, said Maggie, rather sharply. Why not, replied Alice. Well, I don't like Mr. Mr. Puxon asking you in that way, answered Maggie. I didn't see what harm there was. The invitation said Alice. I didn't go in because it was getting late. I was anxious to get home, but. But what? asked Maggie. Alice had shrugged her shoulders. Well, she said, I have accepted Mr. Mrs. Paxton's invitation. Pay a little visit tomorrow. And she gazed defiantly at Maggie. Maggie became distinctly uneasy of hearing of this resolution. 
She did not like the idea of her impulsive sister visiting people and such slight acquaintance, especially as they never heard from them mentioned before. She endeavoured by all means, short of appealing to Mrs. Mr. Meldrew, Meldrew to persuade her sister from going, at any rate, until there had been time to make some inquiries as to the Paxons. Alice, however, was obdurate. What harm would happen to her? she asked. Mrs. Paxton was a charming old lady. She was going early in the afternoon for a short visit. She'd be back for tea and croquet with father. And anyway, now that Maggie was laid out, long solitary walks were endurable. And she's not going to let slip the chance of following up what promised to be a pleasant acquaintance. Maggie could not do, do nothing more. Her ankle was better. She was able to get let down to the garden and sit in a long chair near her father. But walking was still quite out of the question. It was the same misgivings on that following day. She watched Alice depart gaily from her, for a visit, promising to get be back by half past four at the very late, latest. The afternoon passed quietly till nearly five when Mr. Major asking, looking up from his book, noticed Maggie's uneasy expression and asked, Where's Alice? Out for a walk, replied Maggie. And then after a short pause, she went on, She's gone to pay a call on some neighbours whom she has recently discovered. Neighbours? injected Mr. Major. What neighbours, Mr. Roberts? Never spoke of any neighbours to me. Well, I don't know much about them, answered Maggie. Only Alice and I were out walking the day on my accent. I saw at least, I saw, or at least she saw, but I'm blind and I could not quite make it out, a house in Brickant Bottom. The next day she took a look at it closer, and yesterday she told me she made an acquaintance of the people living in it. She says they were a tired Indian colonel, his wife, Indian officer and his wife, a colonel, Mrs. Paxton. And as surprised Mrs. Paxton, a charming old lady who pressed her to come and see them. So she's gone this afternoon, but she promised me she'll be back long before this. Mr. General Meadrew was silent for a moment and then said, I'm not well pleased about this. Alice should not be so impulsive and scrap acquaintances with absolutely unknown people. Had they been nice neighbours in I'm certain Mr. Roberts would have told us. The conversation dropped, just, but both father and daughter were disturbed and uneasy, and the tea having been finished, the clock striking half past five, Mr. Major asked Maggie, When did you say Alice would be back? Before half past four, at the latest, father. Well, what can she be doing? What can have delayed her? You say you did not see the house. I went, he went on. No, said Maggie, I cannot say I did. I was getting dark, and you know how short-sighted I am. But surely you must have seen it at some, uh, some other time, said her father. That is the strangest part of the whole affair, answered Maggie. We have been, we have often walked up the bottom, but I never noticed the house. 
nor had Alice till that evening. I wonder, she went after a short pause, if it would not be well to ask Sam Smith, Smith to her harness the pony and drive out to bring her back. I'm not happy about her. I'm afraid... Afraid of what, her father said, the irritated voice of a man who was growing frightened. What can have gone wrong in this quiet place? Still, I sent Smith over, Papa. So, saying, he rose from his chair and sought out Smith, a rather dumb-witted gardener, groom attached to Mr. Roberts' service. So, saying, he rose from his chair and sought Mr. Now, Mrs. Outsmith, a rather dumb-witted gardener, groom attached to Mrs. Roberts' service. Smith said, I went, want you to harness the pony at once and go over to Colonel Buxton's in Brickett Bottom and bring Mrs. Maydew home. The man stared at him. Go where, sir? He said. Mrs. Maydew reported the order, and the man, still staring stupidly, answered, I never heard of Colonel Buxton, sir. I don't know what house you mean. Mr. Major was now growing really anxious. Well, harness the pony at once, he said, and go, going back to Maggie, he told her of what he called stupidity, and asked her if she felt that ankle be strong enough to permit her to go with him and Smith to the bottom to point out this out the house. Maggie agreed readily, and in a few minutes the party started off. Brickett Bottom, although not more than three-quarters of a mile away from the downs, was at least three miles by road, and it was nearly six o'clock before Mr. Major left the vicarage, and the pony was old and slow. It was getting late before the entrance of Brickett Bottom was reached. Turning into the lane, the cart proceeded slowly up the bottom. Mr. Major and Maggie, looking anxiously from side to side, while Smith drove steadily on looking neither to the right nor left. Where is the house? said Mr. Bojo presently. At the bend of the road, answered Maggie, her heart sickening as she looked out through the failing light to see trees stretching their ranks and broken formation along. Cart reached the bend. It should be here, whispered Maggie. They pulled up just in front of the road. The road bent to the right round a tongue of land, which, unlike the rest of the right-hand side of the road, was free from trees and was covered only by rough grass and stray bushes, and the closest inspection disclosed elegant signs of terraces having once been formed on it, but of a house there was no trace. Is this the place? said Mr. Major in a low voice. Maggie nodded. But there is no house there, said her father. What does it all mean? Are you sure of yourself, Maggie? Where is Alice? Before Maggie could answer, a voice was heard, calling, Father, Maggie! The sound was a vo- voice was thin and high, approximately, not darkly. It sounded both very near and yet it came from some infinite distance. A cry was tried to read it. Then silence fell. Mr. Major and Maggie stared at each other. That was Alice's voice, said Mr. Major huskily. She is near and in trouble and calling and is calling us. Which way do you think it came from, Smith? 
he added, turning to the gardener. I didn't hear anybody calling, said the man. Nonsense, answered Mr. Rejew. And then he and Maggie both began to call Alice. Alice, where are you? With no reply, Mr. Major sprang from the cart, at the same time bidding Smith to hand the reins to Maggie, and some, and come and search for the missing girl. Smith obeyed, and both men, scrambling up the turfy bit around, began to search and call through the neighbouring wood. They heard and saw nothing, however, and after an agonised search, Mr. Major ran down to the cart and begged Maggie to drive on Blaze's farm for the help, leaving himself and Smith to continue the search. Maggie followed her father's instructions, and was fortunate to find Mr. Rumbold, a farmer. His two sons and a couple of labourers just been returning from the harvest field. She explained what had happened, and the farmer and his man, men promptly volunteered to form a search party. And Maggie, in spite of her anxiety, noticed a queer expression on Mr. Rumbold's face as he told her her, her tale. The party provided with lanterns now set down the, the bottom, joined Mr. Mildew and Smith and made an exclusive but absolutely fruitless search for the woods near the bend of the road. No trace of the missing girl was to be found, and after a long and anxious time, the search was abandoned. One of the young Rumbos volunteering to ride into the nearest town and notify the police. Maggie, though, with little hope in her heart, endeavoured to clip cheer her father on their homeward way with the idea that Alice might have returned to Overy, over the downs whilst they were going to road to the bottom, and that she and she had seen them and called them in just when they were opposite the tongue of the land. However, when they reached home, there was no Alice, and over the next day the search was resumed, Full cries were instituted by the police. All was to no purpose. No such trace of Alice was ever found. Last human being that saw her having been an old woman, old woman, who had met her going down a path in the bottom on the afternoon of her disappearance, and who described her smiling, but looking queer-like. This is the end of the story, but the following may throw some light upon it. The history of Malice's mysterious disappearance is come widely known for the medium of the press. Mr. Roberts, distress your measure at what had taken place, returned in all haste to Overy to offer that comfort and help he could give to his afflicted friend and tenant. He called upon the Majors, and having heard their tale, sat for a short time in silence. Then he said, Have you ever heard? heard of any local gossip concerning his colonel, Mrs. Paxson? No, replied Mr. Major. I never heard their names until the day my poor daughter's fatal visit. Well, said Mr. Roberts, I will tell you I all I can about them, which is not much, I fear. He paused and went on. I was nearly seventy years old, and for nearly seventy years no house has stood in Bricket Bottom. But when I was a child, about five, there was an old-fashioned red brick house standing in the garden at the bend of the road, such as you described. It was owned and limited by a tired Indian soldier and his wife, the Colonel and Mrs. Paxton. At the time I speak, certain events having taken place at the house, the old couple 
having died, it was sold to the heirs to Lord Grusho, who shortly after pulled it down the grounds that it was inferred with shooting, as it interfered with his shooting. Colonel and Mrs. Paxton were known, known, were known well known to my father, the clergyman before me, to neighbourhood in general. They lived quietly and not and were not unpopular. The colonel was supposed to possess a violent and vindictive temper. Their family consisted only of themselves, their daughter and a couple of servants, the colonel's old army servant, and the Eskarin wife. Well, I cannot tell you details of what happened. I was only child. My father never liked the gossip. In later years he talked to me on the subject. He always avoided any appearance of exaggeration, respect, centralism. However, it is known that Mr. Paxton fell in love and became engaged to a young man whom her parents took a strong dislike. They used every possible means to break off the match, and many rumours were set afoot as to their contact. Undue influence, even cruelty, was charged against them. I do not know the truth. All I can say is that Mrs. Paxton died. A very bitter feeling, a very bitter feeling against her parents sprung up. My husband, however, continued to call. I was rarely admitted. In fact, he never saw Colonel Paxton after his daughter's death. He only saw Mrs. Paxton once or twice. He described her as an utterly broken woman. I was not surprised at following the daughter to the grave about three months' time. Colonel Paxton was because impossible. Some of them were more inclusive than ever after his wife's death and himself died not more than a month after her and sentences which pointed to suicide. Oh, about again a crop of rumours sprang up with no one in particular to take action. A doctor certified death before natural causes. Colonel Paxton, like his wife and daughter, are buried in the churchyard. The property passed on to distant relative who came down for one night shortly after he never came again, having apparently conceived a violent dislike to the place, arranged that the bench off the sailors. Then sold the house to Lord Culture, who was glad to purchase this little island in the middle of this property. He pulled it down after he had brought it, and the garden was left to re- relapse into wilderness. Mr. Roberts paused. Those are the facts, he added. But there's something more, said Maggie. Mr. Roberts hesitated for a while. You have a right to know all, he said almost to himself. Then louder he continued, What I'm going to tell you is only really, is really Roman, vague and uncertain. I cannot fathom if it's true or it's meaning. About five years after the house had been pulled down, a young man's servant, maid servant, a curfew was out walking one afternoon. She was a stranger at the village, a new coroner at the court. On returning home to see, she told her fellow servants she had walked down Brickett Bottom, which place she destroyed clearly. He passed a red brick house at the bend of the road, and there of that a kind faced old lady had asked her to step in for a while. She did not go in, but bec- not because of any suspicions of being well, uncanny, but simply because she feared to be late for tea. I don't, do not think she ever experienced the bottom again, and she had no other similar spirits. So far as I, I am aware. Two or three years later, shortly after her father's death, a travelling tinker for his wife and daughter camped for the night at the foot of the bottom. The girl strode away to the land, 
to gather blackberries it was never seen or heard of again. We searched for her in vain, and of course, one doesn't know who one not know the truth. She may have uh, run away voluntarily from her parents, though there's no known cause for doing so. That, concluded Mr. Roberts, is all I can tell you of either facts or rumours. All I can do is pray for you and for her.